Good morning. It's a blessing to be here. Thank you, Brother Neil, for the invitation this morning. I am kind of amazed that the, the devotional there and the children's lesson, this whole creation thing, um, and in our day, how many people are explaining it away? And I thought of the text there in Romans chapter 1, where from the beginning, the Godhead is clearly made known by things created. And, uh, you know, isn't that amazing? When we look out, and we just see this beautiful creation and, and we can worship God for what he made. Um, you children, um, if you're if you're tempted to sometime doubt that there was a flood, I would um, encourage you to do some research. If you take leave the Bible completely out of the picture with just science today, you can prove that there was a major, major flood sometime in history. Uh, Just a thought there. All right. Uh, What I would like to speak to you about this morning is something that's not new to any of you. But I believe it is fundamental that we hear this message over and over and over again. I'm going to be using the text in 1 John chapter 4. If you want to turn there with me. I appreciate it very much that your brother was willing to to come and share with the body there at Living Hope today, but... I really do wish he would be here. My children said, Oh, Dad, if um, Earl's family is not here, we know them the best. How's that going to work? So, hopefully there's more friendly people here. Um, <clears throat> First John chapter 4. Our dear brother John. Um... How many of you have heard the story about John in his late years? Um, I will call it the story of him pursuing um, an ex-convert that he had made. How many of you have heard of that story? How he rode on horseback to chase him down. Raise your hand. No one? All right, I figured surely some of you have. It's um, recorded in the book of Eusebius, I'm sorry, Um, he was a bishop and a writer. Um, Dear Brother John, he was a a man who lived along with the rest of his um, colleagues, the rest of the disciples were martyred earlier, but they believe John lived to be almost 90 years old. They had tried to kill him 
by immersing him in boiling oil. How many know at what degrees oil boils? Fahrenheit. At what degrees does oil boil? And it, it varies, of course, how refined the oil is, but someone take a guess. Come on, school teacher. 300? That's a good guess. Usually a little hotter than that. Um, they say anywhere between uh, 350 to 500 degrees. It has to do with how refined the oil is at what temperature it reaches boiling point. But we know they boiled oil and they immersed John in this boiling oil and he came al- out alive, not even scorched. Imagine that. They did it at the Colosseum so that all the, the people there in the stadium were watching this. They say that the people that saw this were all converted. That's amazing. Um, this story here is um, another incident that happened in his late life. I'd like you to note two things in this story. <clears throat> Number one is at how much God loves us. And number two is the measures that John took to pursue a certain individual and, um, of course, his love and passion to do that. It's the late first century and John the Apostle has just returned from exile on the island of Patmos where he received revelation. John, traveling around, was appointing bishops. In one city, he gives new bishops a special charge to look over the spiritual health of a particular young man. This one I commit to you in all earnestness and in the presence of the church and with Christ as witness. The bishop taught the young man the faith and baptized him. But unfortunately, soon after, the young man fell in with the wrong crowd. He first indulged with them in worldly pleasures, and then fell into robbery and other crimes. The young man still had a conscience, though, and realized that he was doing wrong. But rather than repent and turn back to Christ, he despaired of God's mercy thinking his crimes were beyond forgiveness and he plunged deeper into his sinful lifestyle. He eventually became a bold bandit chief, the most violent, most bloody, most cruel of them all. Some time passed and John visited the city again. As soon as he arrived, he asked about the young man. The bishop, groaning deeply and at the same time bursting into tears, told John what had happened. here's how Eusebius describes John's reaction. The apostle rent his clothes, beating his head with great lamentation. He said, A fine guard I left for a brother's soul. Let a horse be brought to me, and let someone show me the way. He rode away from the church, just as he was, and coming to the place, he was taken immediately as a prisoner by the robber's outposts. 
Captured John did not resist, but merely asked to be taken to their leader. The young man was armed, waiting to see the new prisoner. And when he saw it was John, he turned to shame, to, he turned in shame to flee. John, forgetting his age, pursued him with all his might, crying out, Why, my son, do you flee from me, your own father, unarmed and aged? Pity me, my son, fear not. You have still hope of life. I will give account to Christ for you. If need be, I will willingly endure your death, as the Lord suffered death for us. For you will I give my life. Stand, believe. Christ has sent me. Just imagine this scene. The, the leader of this band, this gang, um, had already killed many people, and here comes John. He's just armed and ready to do it again, but he runs, and John pursues him. John's words penetrated the young man's hardened heart. When he heard, first, when he heard, first stopped and looked down, then he threw away his arms, and then trembled and wept bitterly. And when the old man approached, he embraced him, making confession with lamentations as he was able, baptizing himself a second time with tears, and concealing his only right hand, John pledging himself and assuring him that he would find forgiveness with the Savior, besought him, fell upon his knees, kissed his right hand itself, as if now purified by repentance, and led him back to the church. But John wasn't done with him yet. And making intercession for him with earnest prayers and struggling together with him in continual fasting and subduing his mind, I get this, subduing his mind with various utterances, he did not depart, as they say, until he had restored him to the church, furnishing a great example of true repentance and a great proof of regeneration. What an amazing story. Just think about this. A ringleader, a Christian turning into the world, becoming a ringleader, and a bloody, murderous individual, baptizing himself in his own tears, and turning back to his ways. I um, I want you to... Um, Think about that as we go into the message and uh, how much God loves us. I do have a question for you. Is The question is, why does God love us? Why does God love us? And you here, I would say, are a pretty cleaned up bunch. Um... You probably have all had a shower this week at least one time. Is it because you're pretty good people and you're clean up and and uh, none of you have, um, as I noticed, patched up clothes or anything like that? Is it is it because you're clean up, or maybe you say we're our, we're a very courteous people. We. We have uh, very, we're very good at 
common courtesies. Is that why God loves you? I don't believe God loves us because we're that lovable. Or even that we deserve His love. If anything, the opposite is true. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I'm afraid sometimes we don't realize the extent of our sin and how much sin has tainted us. I mean, just imagine any one of you having all of your thoughts here on a screen this morning. Just take the last two years. All of your thoughts. Every one of them. Here they are open for everyone to see. Would you be willing to do that? We are very sinful people. And sin has... Sin has... um, Well, let me say it this way. God cannot stand sin. God is holy. Romans chapter 3 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They all have turned aside. They have to... They have together become become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Which leads me into the text here. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 4, if you haven't, and we'll begin reading in uh, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Herein is love. In this is love, John says. Not that we love God, but that He sent Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, into the world to die for us, to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation was taken out in the NIV and it's put back again in the ESV. And it simply means God sent Jesus Christ as an atonement for our sins. And then in verse 19, which is the title of my message, John writes, We love Him because He first loved us. We love God, why? Because He first loved us. I don't know all of your background, but for myself, I grew up a very self-righteous young man. I'm very ashamed today at how I compared myself 
amongst people and use that as a platform to justify myself as a pretty good person. I had no... um, I should say I had little um, realization that I am very, very sinful and it's not by anything that I'm going to do that's going to justify myself in the day of judgment. And I wouldn't have understood verse 19. We love Him because He first loved us. A few... um, I'm sorry, if we could, let's um, pause for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we are grateful this morning for Your love. That You were willing to lay down Your life our sins. Lord, we pray that you would help us to never take that for granted, Lord. Father, I pray this morning you would help us to see our need of you daily, Lord. Daily denying self, taking up our cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would quicken us by your Spirit, Lord, There will be spiritual life here this morning for those who are dead. Spiritual help for those who are troubled. And spiritual comfort, Lord, and strength for those who are weary. Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy word. Amen. So, a few weeks ago, there in Ephrata, there was a a man who wrecked his car and the first call that came in to dispatch was these people were driving past this car that was wrecked into, I think it was um, either a, a bridge or a concrete culprit or something. And um, the police were notified of it. They arrived on that scene when dispatch got another call that there's um, a man knocking on doors of houses there in Ephrata. And um, so immediately the police were being dispatched there. And by then it was pouring down rain. It was just drenching rain on a Tuesday evening. And after that, another call came in that there's a man... Walking on the, walking towards oncoming traffic in Route 222, heading, um, he would have been heading north, but on the wrong side of the interstate. And immediately following that, another call came in that there's a man hit on 222 and was killed. And I just thought, I wonder how the people felt who refused to answer their door when he was knocking on their door. Nobody ever knows, did he have a bad concussion? Was he running from some someone? What was it all about? Um, but he was knocking on people's doors for help. And uh, <clears throat> he was turned down. So, let's do all we can, brothers and sisters, 
to show the love of God every time we can. We live in a very paranoid society. But if the love of God constrains us, let's let's do something about it. Let's make a difference. What I'd like to do this morning is look at three scenes. I'd like to take you to, I'm sorry, there's four. Four scenes in the Bible. Um, the gospel writers spend a lot of time and put a lot of emphasis on this particular subject of God's love towards us and how we should love one another. They cover a lot of material. Some of it duplicates each other. Some of it is completely um, unique. And um, I would also say, before we get into the Gospels here, that I've heard comments made by Christians that we can't, as a church, as churches there, we can't just say, we're going to love each other. Because God loved us, we're going to love each other. I'm here to tell you this morning that if you don't get that right, nothing else is going to be right. If you don't learn to love each other here as a church, here as a body of Christ, nothing else is going to fall together. Now, we all know that it's not going to work if you all just say, well, let's just all love each other and uh, let's don't worry about each other and anything. just, Just accept each other for who we are and not address any sinful behavior, not address any carnality, that isn't going to work. But, how about learning to loving each other as Christ loved us, and then out of that love and concern, um, create a platform where we can speak into each other's lives. I know Brother Alan the best of all of you here, and um, I wonder how many of you have appreciated or made a comment to Alan and said, you know, brother, I really appreciate you considering that you grew up playing video games, sitting on a couch eating potato chips, providing for his wife and his children now. That's a blessing. And that's what we need to learn to do. Appreciate each other and bless each other. And then, out of that platform, we can speak into each other's lives. So four scenes here. The first one is in John chapter 18. The Gospel of John chapter 18. Verse 4. Jesus therefore... Knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they drew back, or if they went backward, and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus answered, I've told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. <clears throat> so Jesus walks across the Kindred Valley into the garden where he spends most of his time. And there he meets him and asks, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. Plop. Says they fell backwards. Now, <clears throat> I want you to consider that twice before, maybe three times, I'm not sure, Jesus actually said that my hour has not yet come. He, the first time he said it was at a wedding. His mom said, you know, Jesus, can you help us out here? We're out of wine. And uh, Jesus said, well, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And in John chapter 12, um, his brothers are saying, Jesus, it's time to go to the feast. There's, um, I think it was a Passover feast they were going to have. And again, Jesus said, um, my hour is not yet come. You go up to the feast. But right now, Right now in history, his hour was here. And it was with great anguish that he was at the garden. He left the garden, walks across the Kindred Valley, and there he meets these men. And he says, I am he. So all the events of the past have been ordered by God. Every one of them. All of the events of the past have been ordered by God. And if you consider this scene that we have right here, 50 years before, if Jesus would have been born 50 years before, the Romans were still not in charge. The Jews could have... um, So the Jews took Jesus as blaspheming. And a man in blasphemy would have been stoned to death. So they would, they would just simply took Jesus, stoned him to death, and it would have been over. Fifty years later, fifty years after this scene here, the Jewish system was no longer ruling. The Romans were completely in charge, and they would have just simply thrown the case right out of court. This isn't the case. We don't believe you. We find this man that's not guilty. And they would have thrown him right out. But here, they cuffed Jesus and they led him away. Scene number two. Turn over to John chapter 19. Then Jesus came forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate says unto them, Behold the man. So now he's at the, at Pilate's court, which we would call the, the Supreme Court in our day. And I'd like to read this one in uh, Matthew chapter 27. It gives much more clarity than John does. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. We'll pick it up at verse 27. Matthew 27 verse 27. 
Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him. Well, that's humiliating to start with. They stripped him. Just imagine that. And when they, and they stripped him and they put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had twisted together a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and they mocked him saying, Hail King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and they took the reed and smote him on the head. He was supposed to look like a king. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put on his own raiment on him and led him away to be crucified. So we have injustice at the courthouse and inhumanity at the place of punishment. Total injustice. He hadn't done a thing wrong. Just think about that this morning. Any of us? Yeah, they could... They could have got me for um, a number of things that I did. But here we had a man who had never, ever done one thing wrong. Injustice at the courthouse, inhumanity at the place of punishment. Utter cruelty and mockery. This was Jesus Christ. It was vow and hellish at the core. Jesus, clothesless, friendless, betrayed, and forsaken. Jesus Christ, the kind, compassionate teacher. And here he is. Clothesless, friendless, betrayed, and forsaken. Why? Why did he have to go through this? It's because God loved us. And the disciples didn't get this at the beginning, but John got this later. He said, when he said, we love him because he first loved us. A little bit about the cross there is the Romans um, borrowed some of the Greeks' ideas when they decided how they're going to create the, the most depicable form of death. If you think about the cross and and hanging there on the cross, I want you to think what happens. Some men were hanging there for days. They had to pull themselves, push themselves up because our lungs um, kind of collapse if we keep putting too much pressure on them. Pushing themselves up, getting another breath, getting thirsty. Birds coming and picking their eyes out, some before they even had died. It was created for very serious criminals or unfaithful soldiers. That's what they developed this punishment for. Very serious criminals or unfaithful soldiers. And now we have the Son of God hanging on a Roman cross on the hill of Golgotha. Scene number three, John chapter 19. 
verse 16. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of his skull, which is called the which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side, and Jesus in the midst. He was crucified, notice, in the middle of two bandits. Of all things, why does the Son of God find himself hanging right in the middle of two criminals? Did you ever think about that? He's completely sinless. Of all things, here he is, the most righteous, unsinful person, hanging in the middle of two bandits. Isaiah says, he will be numbered with the transgressors. When it comes down to it, all, that's where he found himself. Right in the middle of of two transgressors, right in the middle of the mess. A quiz I have for you. What was the last miracle that Jesus did? The very last miracle before his, before he found himself crucified. What was the last miracle that Jesus did? Put the ear back on. Thank you. Why does he bother with putting an ear back on? He's just through the garden. He's in anguish. He knows what he's going to go through. He's begging, isn't there another way? Lord, can you take this cup from me? And Peter, in his, um, what would you call it, impertinent Peter, in his impulse, goes to chop off the high priest's servant's head and, and gets his ear. And Jesus stoops down gets the ear, puts it back on. Amazing. Other question. What was Jesus' last, um, I can't say his last words, but his last um, act of kindness that he did before he died? What was Jesus' last act of kindness he did before he died? Anyone? His what? His gaze on Peter. His gaze on Peter. Are you thinking over there on the cross? At the trial. trial. Thank you. I didn't think about that one. That was certainly, to Peter, um, probably important. But there's something that happened on the cross that I'm after. What was his last act of kindness? Yes. He He took care of his mother. Maybe that happened last. I'm not sure the sequence of this. One other thing he did on the cross. Yes, brother. Think about that. He looked over on one of these bandits and he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. So before he's crucified, he heals the high priest's servant or before his hands were bound there, says they bound him. Before they bound his hands, he stoops down, picks up the ear, puts it back on, 
And before his voice was silent, he welcomed a bandit, a sinner, home with him. Are you beginning to understand that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very essential? It's in this is love, John said. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And if you ever share your testimony, if you are a believer, I urge you this morning to consider to, in capital letters, mention how much God loves you before you capitalize on how much you love God. We as men and women are separated from God and in that separation we are exposed to the wrath of God it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Jesus. Seen. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Scene number four. Um, this is taken from the four Gospels. Um, This isn't just the Gospel of of John. I would like you to consider this morning what Jesus all said while he was hanging there on the cross. There was um, a number of things that he lists out of his mouth yet. And um, I want you to picture Jesus hanging there on the cross, bloody. I don't believe anybody cleaned them up after they whipped them with bone um, or lead pieces tied to the end of the whip. What did they do? 39 stripes tied the man to a post, took his shirt off, and two Roman soldiers laid into him, just whipping him. So imagine the blood oozing out of his back, the blood running down his face. Now he has nails in his hands and his feet. So here he's hanging, a bloody scene, no doubt. The women are there crying. And you can only imagine, who wouldn't cry? A kind, compassionate friend, and there he is in a bloody mess. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you say that? Can you be like Christ when people mistreat you? Say, Lord, forgive them. Jesus said on the cross to one of those criminals, Today you will be with me in paradise. Amazing. The first Christian. The very first Christian. The very first man to hear that. Today you will be with me. Not tomorrow. Today. Before the sun goes down today, you will be with me in paradise, wherever that is. Jesus said on the cross to his mother, Behold your son. Looking down at um, his mother, he said, Behold your son. And then looking to John, our dear brother John, he said, Behold your mother. Jesus said on the cross, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. 
And then uh, in the very end, or towards the very end there, I'm not sure which one came first. He said at one time, my God, my God. And specifically says with a loud voice, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then it is recorded that he said, it is finished. Let me conclude this morning by making some applications. Is the death of Jesus Christ meaningful to you? Just the death of Jesus Christ. Is that meaningful for you? When you wake up in the morning, or as you go about your daily dues, do you think about who you are as a child of God and what the price it costs to, to pay a ransom for you? Unless we experience this love, our love for God and our love for others will not attain to much. And I say that carefully, but I believe that is the core value. I don't know how where you have to go here in Lebanon County, but there where we live, there's Lions Clubs in almost every um, popular city. And if you do a study on Lions Clubs, they're very kind people. Once you join a Lions Club... <clears throat> Once you join a Lions Club, um, people find a lot of fulfillment in that. It's serving the community, serving those who are handicapped or in need. And it's a group of people committed together for that purpose. But you can join a Lions Club and be agnostic. You can join a Lions Club and never have anybody... um, tell you that, you know, you're living in sin. The woman that you are married to is not your woman. Or getting drunk every Friday evening or whatever it may be. You can live in sin and um, and be a part of a, of a Lions Club. <clears throat> our love for each other, our love for God does not amount to much until we experience the love of the Lord Jesus Christ ourself. One time there was, um, in Jesus' ministry, there was a, um, I guess some natural calamities, I'm not even sure exactly what happened other than, I guess, a tower fell down and killed a lot of people. And some some people came to Jesus and said, you know, well, was it because there are bad people over there that that tower fell down and killed all those people? Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He just turned it around right back to them. The people asking the question said, unless you repent, 
you're, you're going to perish just like those people. <clears throat> I'd like to um, give two quotes um, from... One was a bishop in Rome in the early church. The other one was Polycarp. He was actually the Apostle John's disciple. In other words, Polycarp sat at the Apostle John's feet for many years being discipled by John himself. Polycarp says it this way, He that, hath, he that has love is far from every sin. I like that. He that hath love is far from every sin. And if I miss, um, remind you of what God told the two brothers when they started fighting. The very two sons that were born, Cain and Abel, and jealousy came in. Uh, let's see, Cain was jealous at Abel's offering. And um, so there was strife started up. And uh, we see God speaking to the one brother. And you know what he said? What did God say to Cain after he started striving? Sin lies at the door. Sin lies at the door. door. Complete contrary to he that has love is far from every sin. There's another part of that. Can you quote that first part? Um, see if I can find it quickly here. In, uh, I think it's in Genesis 4. Verse 7. Here it is. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Very straightforward counsel, not much words, um, very basic. God said to Cain, if you do well, shall thou not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin lies at the door. We know Cain chose not to do well, not to love, and ended up killing his own brother. Clement of Alexander says it this way, Fear works abstinence from what is evil but love exhorts us to do good now get this love exhorts us to do good by building up to to the point of spontaneity love exhorts us to do good by building up to the point of spontaneity we as men we know what that's like who are married we have wives And our love for our wife causes us to do spontaneous things, right? We don't love our wives because the pastor up here says, Men, you better love your wives this week. If you don't love your wives this week, I'm going to be there or I'm going to have you arrested by by the local police. It will never work. We love our wives, or we love, as Clement says here, love exhorts us to do good by building up to the point of spontaneity. 
And fear does exactly the opposite. Fear works abstinence from what is evil. <clears throat> so, what does this mean to Oasis Christian Fellowship? I was thinking of you here this morning and knowing that you've had a lot of water to be bailing out of the, of the ship and sometimes you're wondering, well, are we going to stay afloat or are we not? And I feel for you. I'm, I'm very, very sorry for all the, all the waves, may I call them waves, that uh, you've been going through here. You know what? If Oasis prospers, there's many other churches that are going to prosper because you prosper. If Oasis prospers, Tim and Cheryl can prosper. Warren and Kim can prosper. How is this church going to prosper? It's by, number one, you have to learn that we need to love each other. And you say, well, that's generic. I mean, haven't we been doing that? I'm sure you have. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the love with shoes on is the love in action. It's by encouraging each other. It's by going to each other and appreciating each other. And then out of that, out of that love for each other, you speak into each other's lives about concerns. But don't make the concerns the first thing that comes to your mind every time you see a brother or a sister sees a sister. Let it be building each other up in the most holy faith. Just like Jesus did for us. That's what we need to do to each other. Turn back um, with me again to the Epistle of John, chapter 4. I'd just like to read to you, in context, the conclusion as John concluded that chapter. First John, chapter 4. <clears throat> verse 16 um, is a verse that I memorized many years ago and it's a verse that has been very near and dear to me. And you know how we as people are, we, we like to figure things out, some more than others. We analyze people and we put labels on people and, and uh, the people who put labels on me, you know what they put on me? They say I'm a mercy person. <laughs> Whatever that means. I'm a mercy person. Well, you can talk to my children, and my children can well tell you that I don't always have mercy. So why am I a mercy person? I mean, if someone does something wrong, and it's wrong, I'll address it. Why am I a mercy person? I think the reason that I get labeled as a mercy person is because 
this verse here I have made very personal. I just love the verse. It's simple. Anybody can understand what it says. It says, And we know and believe the love that God has towards us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. It's pretty simple. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now, he's going to really lay it down. Listen to these words. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. Brothers, And sisters, get a hold of that. Get a hold of of the love that is in action. Not just by saying nice things, but by doing them also. I would say, you know, submitting to one another. uh, Being kindly and affectionate to one another. Honoring one another more highly than ourselves. All of those things. If we can do that, then I think God will bless us. If you as a local body here in this little fire hall this morning, you can get a hold of that. I believe you can go somewhere. Sure, you need to make applications to things. Sure, we need to talk about other things. But let's do it on the premise and on the platform of that we, we ourselves, were very vile and sinful people. And we have been redeemed. And now we extend a hand to each other and love one another. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are so grateful this morning that you have loved us. Even, Lord, while we were not lovable, you died for us before anybody proved himself to be a very lovable person. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were faithful and obedient even unto death. As we looked at those four scenes this morning, Lord, of what you endured, Lord, for for my sins, for the sins of these people. And Father, we pray that if there is someone here this morning that has not experienced your love, that you will draw him by your Spirit, Father. We stand on the promise, Lord, that 
we can be quickened by your Spirit. And you have sent the Holy Spirit, Father, to draw all men unto yourself. And the Spirit is here, Lord, to bring conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of the judgment. Thank you, Lord. Will you draw these people together, Lord, as they seek to glorify your name, as they, as they dream, Lord, of dreams and visions, Lord, of the difference that they can make in their community and in the uttermost parts of the earth, Lord. Help them to be faithful for what you have called them to be. In Jesus' name, amen.